You're listening to Tap into the Truth. broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am indeed your ever-so-humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, and I'm coming to you from lovely, beautiful, scenic, and, most importantly, historic Roan County, Tennessee. Uh, you know, we're we're still dealing with a bit of a cold snap. We're still expecting a little wintry weather coming on. 
Uh, don't typically get a whole lot of it in this part of uh, the country, so we're enduring while, of course, uh, several of our friends and neighbors a little further to the north are uh, laughing and scoffing at us. It's like, ha, ha, uh, those rubes can't even deal with just a couple of flurries. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's not even that cold. It's it's still above 20. What are you complaining about? Well, we're complaining because while you guys may be used to it, eh, we're not so much. And I'm not really complaining, but uh, you got to understand, uh, when you have so much experience with dealing with this kind of thing, you're going to get better at it. When you don't have a whole lot of experience, well, you're going to not be so good at it. So that's where we're at. Had some uh, slushy, wintry mixed stuff first thing this morning when I was on my way into the day job. And uh, I reckon we're still expecting more stuff over the next few days, and it's going to be getting colder and colder, so... Brrr. Okay, anyway, for the rest of the country, who's either laughing at me or commiserating with me, depending on where you're at and what your weather situation is, I'd like to remind the folks, especially those who are listening uh, via rebroadcast on terrestrial radio... The time of this particular broadcast that I'm sitting here behind this microphone, it is January 20th, it is 2022, and man, oh man, did we see something special yesterday. Yes, that's right, Joe Biden's meandering, record-setting, long session that was supposed to be a press conference that just went on and on and on where literally nothing of any particular import got said, at least not anything truthful at any rate, uh, although there were some major takeaways. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, because if you're listening to other conservative outlets too, and I would imagine if you're listening to this, you probably are listening to others too, then you're getting plenty of coverage on this particular little news conference. I mean, I, I don't see how... Anybody can come away from that and feeling like it went well for Joe Biden. I mean, I, I just I don't see it. I've heard the typical usual propagandists come out. And, oh yes, it was beautiful. It was awesome. He he called out people lying about him and to him, and and he he really dealt with uh, the issues at hand. No, he didn't. He told some lies, which is not that unusual. He screamed at the clouds. He gave his creepy whisper voice a few times. And he attacked media personnel that were asking him questions uh, multiple times. Uh, called one of them uh, optimistic, sarcastically, basically. Why are you phrasing the questions in such a way as to make me look bad? Uh, I don't know. Maybe what you've done uh, is what makes you look bad, Joe. It's not the framing of the questions. Now, granted... You can frame some questions in a certain way, and it will make you look bad. It's something that the left-leaning media has gotten particularly good at. But I don't think that's really what's at play here, because most of the folks that were at this press conference were really on your side, Joe. Most of them, in fact, were asking you some of these questions you struggled a little more with to try to play that devil's advocate role. Basically, to give you an opportunity to spout off whatever polished, rehearsed response you were supposed to have ready and <laughs> prepared to spout off at a moment's notice. So prepared, so polished, that you shouldn't have even needed the teleprompter to help you out with it. That's 
That's the point here. I mean, it's a tool that all interviewers use. When you have somebody that you want to be friendly with, but you want to give them an opportunity to address something that others in the media have been uh, trying to jab you with, you'll ask them about that scenario, not because you're playing gotcha, but because you want to give them an opportunity to respond and to give your listeners or viewers, depending on the media format, the opportunity to see and hear what the response was, to feel how genuine it was, to see if it was just really, really polished or if it was just a genuine from the heart response. Problem here is Joe just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for anybody to question him on anything. So be it. I, again, not surprising. Half the time I... I'm shocked that he's able to go as long as he did and not forget what his name is. Not forget what he was actually doing. I half expected him somewhere along the middle of this thing to just kind of uh, wander off. And, and Dr. Jill Biden, the greatest doctor of all time, would have to kind of uh, lead him back in and say, We're not done here yet, Joe. It's not nappy time. You get your pudding after the nice reporter people are done talking to you. But that didn't happen. And he actually stayed fairly cognitive. I, I was somewhat impressed that uh, he only wandered off into gibberish, you know, for about half of the interview. <laughs> I mean, he did do it a lot. But to be fair, for the length of time going on and the kind of things we've seen and heard from this guy since the campaign started, uh, it still wasn't a, a terrible outing compared to the usual Joe Biden outing. The problem is, when you compare it to what the American people should expect, what the American journalism uh, professionals should expect, it was probably the worst Q&A session, worst presser that you should ever expect to hear from a sitting president. I believe it was probably the worst uh, presser that a president has had in history. I mean, and I, I don't think it's just my opinion, especially since, like I pointed out, a lot of you have been hearing other commentators. I'm not the only one who felt this way. I, some major things went on. I do not apologize for a single thing about Afghanistan. Okay, not a good stance to take. But if you're going to take that tact, okay, stick to your guns. You will not win that fight with the American people. But, hey, stick to your guns. I am not responsible for all of the inflation, that's the result of the supply chain issues. No, no, and no. The supply chain issues have exacerbated the inflation issue. But the inflation issue began with our loss of energy independence. That was 100% you, Joe. Uh, the supply chain issues were further exacerbated by the difficulty in getting proper levels of workforce. Also, 100% you, Joe, giving people all this extra money to stay home because they're scared of the COVID instead of saying, all right, um, looks like we're past the worst of it. It's time for everybody to get back to work. When you don't do things to encourage these people to stay home, they do go back to work. And when they go back to work, guess what? The economy gets back to normal. That's why the economy hasn't got back to normal yet, is you're still encouraging, at least in all of the blue states, to stay locked down. What else? Well, um, gave gave the answer to the voting rights issue. 
that uh, you're basically insinuating. You yelled at the reporter, I didn't say you're just like Bull Connor, even though, yeah, that's pretty much what you insinuated, sir. And if you really did mean something other than that, first of all, you made a terrible comparison uh, in the way you gave that part of that speech. And number two, uh, stop yelling at the reporter because you you want to challenge them to go back and read the transcripts of what you actually said. We all heard you. We all heard you loud and clear, Joe. And if that wasn't the message you were trying to send, then you messed up because you said it wrong. And I would love to hear what it is you do think you were trying to say. What was your intended message? Please tell us, because I don't think so, Joe. And uh, then, of course, probably the worst part of the whole thing... Uh, just go ahead and give a green light to Russia to attack Ukraine. I mean, seriously, just just go ahead. You know, if um, if it's just a minor incursion, then then that is different, is it? The Ukrainian president didn't think so. He came out and blasted you uh, today, saying that there's no such thing as a small incursion. There are no small countries. Uh, well, depending on how you gauge size, how you make it important then maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong on that one. I know a lot of small countries. But no such thing as a small incursion. That's 100%. 100%. No such thing as a small incursion. And let's be fair, you let Russia take a little bit of territory now and not push back, they'll have the rest of Ukraine shortly. You've just given a green light. Not that you hadn't already. I mean, Afghanistan, you gave a green light to Russia, China, and Iran. There's a reason why Russia, China, and Iran are now doing joint military exercises. They're getting ready to form a brand new axis of power. And uh, this this axis, axis of evil, if you will, uh, they're going to push hard. And with no United States of America prepared to push back, the world is doomed. As long as Joe Biden holds his current position, we're doomed. Period. Anyway, I've already talked way more about it than what I plan to. What I am going to talk about uh, in the next segment isn't the interview. Like I said, you get plenty of coverage from it. I, I just had to vent a little, sorry. But I am going to talk about the reaction to the one-year anniversary of Joe Biden's assuming the office of president that we got from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. But before we do that, I've got a couple of quick hitter topics that I just kind of want to touch on before we dig in. Uh, first of all, I came across this one. This may be a headline you may have missed. Uh, we've got a, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business, at one of the most prestigious business schools in the world, I might add. But this uh, professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business shared the results of a student poll that uh, they took. And this poll revealed that a lot of the students there really have no idea how much the average American worker makes uh, in a year. One of the students in the poll actually suggested that the average American salary was in the neighborhood of $800,000 a year. Now, Nita Strominger... If I'm butchering your name, Nina, I apologize. She's an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton School of Business. And uh, she put these uh, results out. They, they went viral. It was all over Twitter. There was a lot of reactions. Uh, almost everyone at the university, all of the students, were grossly overestimating what they thought the average 
American earns annually. It seems kind of odd. You would think that students that are getting a top-notch business education would have had something like this covered in the earliest part of the studies, right? And uh, ultimately, you can make that assertion, but at the end of the day, these students are just like any other students at almost any other level within the school system, and especially if they've been going to public schools where, uh, no knock on the teachers necessarily, we know the agendas of the public schools as handed out by school boards and Democratic office holders. It's not so much about educating or preparing people for life after school as much as it is about indoctrinating and making these kids understand they've got to think the way that those folks want them to think or there's no place for them in society. Now, after getting a lot of responses online to uh, this shared poll result, the professor did share a follow-up posting. So basically, Nina came out and said, I'm just using her first name now, not because I know her well, but because I don't want to accidentally butcher her last name again in case that's what I did. Anita said that, quote, a lot of people want to conclude that this says something special about Wharton students. I'm not sure it does. People are notoriously bad at making this kind of estimate, thinking the gap between rich and poor is smaller than it is. Well, Okay, so she's trying to defend the student, saying that it does not equate necessarily to being any particular big deal that they were off and off so badly, because most of them were off kind of bad. The uh, the end result here is that there was a lot of students here that generally thought that the average American salary was a six-figure salary. Almost all of them, a high percentage, thought that. Clearly, just FYI, spoiler alert for those of you who may not know, although I'm guessing a majority of you regular listeners are keeping track of this type of information, uh, you know that the average American salary is right at 45000 annually. Uh, had a different professor that got involved in the conversation uh, responding to this said that one of my students asked me if 250k as an annual salary was okay for a 25 year old uh yeah i think it's pretty good for a 25 year old i i think it'd be pretty good for a 55 year old um especially depending on what part of the country you're in and what line of work you're in so anyway the point here is that Folks were making kind of a big deal about this, and I'm still wondering why this is so huge. At the end of the day, what we had happen is we exposed the fact that a lot of people are going into the workforce for the first time with no real idea what their individual worth is because they've not been held accountable. They've not been made to really work hard and truly assess who they are and what it is they're doing and what their skill sets truly are. Then they go into these marketplaces and have some inflated idea of what the average is and and how it is that they can go about uh, making a career for themselves and they want to negotiate they want to be tough they want to be smart they want to understand everything but at the end of the day they have so little working knowledge because they're suffering from that glorious lack of life experience that's it 
That's all we've been exposed. And a college student, no matter how prestigious the college is, being in a school and not having a lot of experience outside of school, they shouldn't be expected to know too much. But one could make the point that their professors should be teaching them better. Only why would they? I mean, you're going to business school. And presumably, you are either A, looking to be entrepreneurial, or B, hoping to land some cushy executive job at a major business that's already in play. And in those cases, you want to get those bigger salaries. So when somebody offers up a number that's pretty exuberant for the rest of America, and you think that that's your target, then naturally you're going to think that, well, if I want that 100K, uh, is it so unreasonable that I would believe I'm worth 100K if the average American is still earning 800K? Or just 100K? So anyway, it's just interesting. It was even more interesting the fact that this went viral and there was such a strong reaction to it. It It's just a little surprising. And worth mentioning. At least I thought so. All right, so in another quick hit story, uh, Joy Reid once again is out there doing exactly what Joy Reid does best, overreacting to a false narrative. I mean, you know, my motto has always been stick with what you're good at, but seriously, Joy, uh, enough is enough. So, anyway, what I'm talking about in this occasion, just in case you hadn't heard, MSC, MSC, MSNBC host Joy Reid complained at length on her Tuesday show this past week about a Florida bill that she falsely claimed would make it illegal to, quote, make white people sad. They're literally, quoting now, they're literally legislating white people's psychic comfort. They're putting that in a bill. Okay, so she was also put that in a tweet as she was sharing an article from the Associated Press. So there is this Florida bill that would prohibit public schools and private businesses from making white people feel discomfort, uh, in quotation marks for discomfort, uh, when they teach students or train employees about discrimination in the nation's past. It received its first approval Tuesday. Uh, This, of course, was the teaser for the article from the AP. She turned around and shared it. Now, back to Reed and her quote. To reiterate, it's about to be illegal in Florida to make white people sad. Fix it, Jesus. Now, I, I... don't typically like saying too many things about people's personal uh, walk in faith, but I wonder if she understands exactly how she's supposed to talk to Jesus if her reaction to that is, fix it, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) There probably should be some fixing going on, but I think she needs to start with that. Anyway, she continued, quote, Are they going to arrest comedians who tell jokes that hurt white patrons' feelings? Let white Floridians sue screenwriters who write white villains? Will there be book and movie bans? Unreal. Yeah, what's unreal is that there is literally zero 
self-awareness here. There is literally no recognition of how absurd what she's saying when she would, in fact, support those very things if they were directed at, oh, let's say, uh, people of color. How do we know? Because she likes the idea of not hurting people of color's feelings. Hey, are they going to arrest comedians for telling jokes? Well, they certainly want to go uh, arrest a few comedians for telling jokes about transgender and LGBTQ and, of course, anything else that the left is deciding they want to protect in that given day. I mean, for crying out loud. One of the funniest guys still working has gotten himself on the wrong side of the cancel culture uh, because he has... Uh, Netflix specials, the guy who does push the boundary over into race baiting some of the time, a guy who I don't always find to be quite as funny as everyone makes him out to be, but then there are other occasions when the man is absolutely hilarious and you just can't help it. But worse than that, when this individual is dropping truth bombs left and right and just refuses to bend the knee. And that's all that's really hurting these folks. Uh, you want to tell me that Joy Reid would not want to see them arrested for this terrible crime? Wouldn't want to see him uh, sued? Oh, but because this is about white people, well, then she's pulling the unreal card. Now, she also continued after that in the same vein, asking whether or not the next thing would be a ban on poking fun at Republican Florida Governor Don, uh, I'm sorry, Ron DeSantis. I was trying to merge the first and last names. Apologies, Ron. Uh, Y'all know that's coming, right? How long till Chairman Ron proposes a bill to make it illegal to make fun of Ron DeSantis? Reid also addressed the bill on her blog, adding there, quote, With this bill, Florida conservatives are saying lessons about America's racist and sexist past are acceptable only if they don't offend white people. Okay, now I'm going to stop right there, because again, this is supposed to be a quick hit, and I don't want to get too bogged down in this. And I certainly don't want to go any further into what she said. But she is saying all this ridiculously anti-white, racist, bovine excrement based on a bill that is trying to eliminate racial essentialism as part of diversity training. That's it. That's the point. No more anti-American crap. No more born an oppressor, born the oppressed. Just simply the facts. You can teach inclusion and racial sensitivity without insinuating or, in the case of most racial existentialism classes, flat out demand that everyone accept as truth that all white people are born as oppressors. You can't do it. It's not about hurting white people's feelings. It's not about making white people sad. It's about uh, restoring some level of common sense joy. It's about understanding that you cannot heal divides by pushing further a division. It's about understanding the simple basic concept that at the end of the day, if you can't get along with somebody, just don't bother. But you're the ones preaching hate here, Joy. You're the one who's trying to further that divide. Why? Because you want to frame this story as 
You don't want to make white people sad. That's not it. White people are sad every day. It's not the same kind of sad that maybe you're dealing with joy. I don't know. I can tell that based on how you conduct yourself, you probably are dealing with a lot of sadness. And some of it may be because you believe some of this racial essentialism. I don't know. I'm not a professional. I'm not qualified to make that determination. But what I am qualified to determine is how ridiculous what you're saying is. How over-the-top, unacceptable what you're saying is. And it's certainly a very, very long distance from and far cry from journalism, which I was under the impression you still claim to be a journalist. That is your vocation? That's what you say? Well, that's not journalism, honey. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying honey right now. Uh, If Joy honestly believes that that's what's in the bill, then she clearly misread it badly. The bill does not actually ban white people from being sad. It's not about the bill itself that even started the controversy, but with the Associated Press use of the bill to aim a hit piece at DeSantis. And Joy just jumped right on. At the end of the day, this bill is designed to put an end to racial essentialism in official capacities. We're not going to have critical race theory in our schools. We're not going to have critical race theory in company training for sensitivity or diversity or any other nonsensical crap, which unfortunately a lot of it is. You can teach racial sensitivities without teaching racial essentialism. You can. It can be done. It should be done. That should be your effort. It should be your goal. Sorry that you struggle with it so much, Joy. But hey, at the end of the day, what really matters? People knowing the truth about this bill or you getting to rant and rave and maybe making two of your five viewers uh, happy for a second because you fulfilled their biased agenda. I need my bias confirmed, please. So the confirmation... The bias confirmation in full effect right there. Joy Reid, you are a special kind of special. Cut it out. You're not helping. You're only making it worse. But then again, maybe that's the plan. I don't know. Tell you what we're going to do right now, though. We are going to take that mid-hour break. So you stay right where you're at. I'll be back on the other side of this brief, brief timeout. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president.
Because traders, government officials, and high-tech corporations, does China now have a permanent strategic advantage over the United States? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, according to Nicholas Chalen, who recently quit his position as Pentagon Software Chief, China has an overwhelming software advantage over the U.S. military and could shut down our nation's electric grid which would instantly render our republic a third-world nation. Even leftist energy secretary Jennifer Granholm noted that adversaries could shut down our electric grid and that cybersecurity attacks are happening all the time. Former Pentagon software chief Nicholas Chalin believes that China's victory over the United States in technical warfare is a foregone conclusion. Leaders from NATO, the Pentagon, and Taiwan have warned of China's high-tech threat I believe the Chinese threat can be overcome via new variations of software created here in America, which could quickly render China's current advantage null and void. But that won't happen until U.S. Chinese concubines are drummed out of office and corporate America. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. What veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness should do for help? Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of homelessness are strongly encouraged to contact the National Call-In Center for Homeless Veterans at 877-4-AID. Vet. That's 877-424-3838 for assistance. If a veteran does not have access to a phone or the internet, only then are they to visit the closest VA medical center without calling in advance. All veterans should contact their VA medical center before visiting for any reason. These steps are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Contact the VA at 877-424-3838 for more information. The VA wants to help. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Come on, man. All men and women created by the gold. You know the, you know the thing. You're a lime dog face pony soldier. I got hairy legs. Right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Uh, having a little fun at uh, Barely There Biden's expense, along with a little music in the background. We had the Edwards Notebook. We had the Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. And then we had a little fun. I, I think that's only fair. So now it's time to ease back towards the broadcast. And in that process, that means I also have to take a a moment or two to ask you a very small favor. So if you don't mind, 
If you're listening to the show via podcast, then one of the things that you will discover is that there is a show description, and down near the bottom of that show description, there is going to be a link that I have included that goes to a company called Fire and Flavor. Now, what I'm asking you to do, very selfishly on my part, is to go and visit them using that link. Uh, Copy uh, the full link as it appears in the show description. Paste that in your web browser and go visit. Take a look at everything they've got going on because at their website, they can tell you everything about themselves a heck of a lot better than I can in just a few brief moments. And you'll get to see such great things as their Hero Grill system. And uh, a lot of the other things they have to go along with, the stuff that you don't necessarily have to use the Hero Grill system to utilize. A lot of great flavors, a lot of great seasoning, uh, specialty uh, charcoal bricks, uh, the whole nine. A lot of great stuff. But uh, just go visit them and remember to use the link there so that they know I sent you. And if you decide to make a purchase while you're there, then all the better. Use that link. Make sure that you do so. And then through our affiliate relationship, I'll get a small commission on that sale. It doesn't affect your price in any way. You get something you wanted. They get something they wanted, a brand new customer in you. And then the show gets a little bit of support from you too. So, hey, just go and check out Fire and Flavor. Check out the Hero Grill system. Check out all the accessories they have available. Uh, just, Just go do it. And... Even if you don't make a purchase, at the very least, go and take a look. And and if you're not planning on making a purchase, if you haven't decided that with spring just around the corner and with Joe Biden still occupying the White House, the possibility of empty store shelves upcoming, going out and grilling something uh, while you go camping and do your own fishing or hunting and, and being out in the wild and using this system, which is lightweight, easy, and mobile. Uh, if that doesn't sound like a good idea to you, then I don't think you're paying attention to what's going on here. But, you know, it's still wintertime right now, but spring is right around the corner, and uh, who knows where this administration is taking us next, right? All right, one more quick hit thing that I just want to make a brief mention of before I dive into the first uh, main story that I wanted to talk about today. And that is the fact that a few days back, well, a few broadcasts back, it's been more than a few days, I guess it's been, what, about a week and a half, maybe two weeks now? Uh, I told you that immediately after uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's conviction happened, we saw this juror come out and they had lied on their juror questionnaire and then they came out very publicly and talked about their sexual abuse that they had suffered and how they were going to make the rest of the jurors hear the truth about sexual exploitation you know all this i said immediately is going to be grounds for a mistrial and they're going to be doing all kinds of crazy stuff and it could get the conviction overturned who knows if they'll even get around to a new trial Well, as of yesterday, the attorneys for Ms. Maxwell have officially requested a mistrial and uh, for a new trial to be scheduled at some point down the road, most likely not to occur before 2023. So, you know, we'll see where this plays out. We're definitely going to be following it, but uh, the shoes have started to drop, and uh, again, we'll... We're just kind of waiting and seeing if there's going to be any accountability 
Because as of this moment in time, there hasn't been not any real accountability and certainly not any accountability directed at the uh, individuals who took possession of the goods that Miss Maxwell and Mr. Epstein were trafficking, if you get my meaning. All right, so I talked a little bit uh, earlier in the first segment of the show about uh, the press conference. Joe Biden literally doing everything the opposite of what a good politician would and should do. Uh, he gave Russia a green light to invade Ukraine. I, I've heard some left politicos uh, saying that's not at all what he did. Yes, yes, that's exactly what he did. He denied trying to divide America into uh, racist bigots if you don't agree with uh, him on the voting laws and the filibuster, which, by the way, uh, good job sticking to your guns, mansion and cinema. Uh, filibuster rule will not change uh, at this point in time and will not change for the remainder of uh, this year. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is, and make no doubt about it, the Democrats, given the opportunity, will come back to this. They want to get rid of the filibuster when they're in charge. So it's not done. It's not over. It's just over for now. So good job uh, for the time being. Now, I mention again the press conference, and I mention again the failure on the part of Chuck Schumer to push through the filibuster rule change uh, therefore, the whole notion of this federalization of voting procedures is it's done. It's off the table. It's not going to happen, and not for this session, because they can't get to the 60 or more threshold needed to stop the filibuster. They can't. There's too many people that have enough sense to understand that the feds are not supposed to take charge of voting anywhere in the country. It's supposed to be something done locally. They're not supposed to be intervening in any fashion. But with all this going on and with Joe Biden clearly within one year's time already establishing himself head and soldiers, head and soldiers above Jimmy Carter, he is officially the worst president in U.S. history. And he's done it in less than a year. In fact, he had pretty much reached that level in the first three months of his presidency, uh, you look at the crisis at the border. Uh, that alone was bad enough because it's the worst it's ever been. And it continues to be bad. You just don't hear about it in the news as much anymore because, well, there's no good news coming out of it uh, for the Democrats. And there's no good news for Americans coming out of it. So they're quietly passing by. Uh, let's, let's avoid that. But you see, the Democrats, they cannot accept that it's gone so badly. So they have to spin another tale. And the tale here, well, it comes in the form of a joint statement from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, where they were literally boasting that Biden's first year was one of the most impactful for any president in modern history. And you know what? I'll give them that. It's just not impactful in the way they would like you to think. It was impactful in so much as we were cruising right along and he managed to screw things up, hugely. 
Usually. Now, the only thing that held up the economy under Trump was the artificial uh, coma. We'll call it a coma. The induced coma to the U.S. economy because of the COVID shutdowns. So whoever took over, as soon as they were ready to move forward and start opening back up, would have been the recipient of one of the greatest economic recoveries in history. And the rationale for that would have simply been because it was an artificial speed bump in what was a a fast-growing economy to begin with. It was very fast-growing, but it didn't have inflationary forces in action. You didn't have any of the negatives. It was all positive. The only real thing of concern was that under Trump, the stock market kept going up and up and up higher than it should have been. There was most likely going to be a correction come along in the stock market, but that's that's neither here nor there, uh, not for this discussion purposes. To claim that it was one of the most impactful uh, first years in history, I, I have no choice to agree with that statement, but the statement... It's true for reasons other than what they would like it to be. You see, the statement, which was released today, time of the live broadcast, it being January 20th, it said that when President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were sworn in one year ago, our nation faced a dark and difficult moment from pandemic and economic crisis. One year later, we proudly mark one of the most impactful first years of a president in modern times. Now, again, I'll remind you that that economic crisis, well, that was artificially induced. And the pandemic issue uh, is still not exactly as dire as it was ever made out to be. I mean, they'll throw a lot of scary-sounding numbers at you, but at the end of the day... Unless you got Delta and happened to have three or more comorbidities, you were probably relatively safe as long as you were relatively healthy before. Unless you just happened to fall into one of those highly at-risk groups, you know, like uh, the elderly, for example, or severely immunocompromised. Those folks, uh, they have troubles with all kinds of infections, though it it wouldn't be exclusive to COVID-19. But uh, yeah, COVID-19 is not something good to have when your body's not very good at fighting stuff off in the first place, especially if a lot of your systems are in the process of slowing down or breaking down. Uh, It's just no, no infection of any kind would be good. And I really hate to sound like I'm downplaying uh, the the risk to those who were at higher risk than the average when it comes to COVID. But now that Omicron's come along, it's almost ridiculous since Omicron has kind of uh, muscled out the other variants. It's become the, the predominant version out there. And it truly is a little more than a bad cold for the folks that are affected the worst by it. Uh, it really seems kind of silly looking back at this point, at least if you're actually looking at the data. I know if you're somewhere in one of these lockdown blue states or if you only listen to the mainstream legacy media, there's a chance that you might still be frightened by COVID. At this point, the time for the scare tactics and the panic point should be over. You should be done with it. You've survived the hard part. Congratulations. And it really wasn't that hard for most of us. Uh, We'll see. In the pandemic, uh, this 
uh, injectable therapeutic that everyone insists on calling a vaccine. It was already available. A process to get it out to the public was already been laid out. The previous occupier of the White House, you know, the orange man who was bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, he already had everything ready to go. He did all the hard work and he pushed against the press and the media and everyone else that uh, scoffed at him. It takes years, sometimes decades, to to make a vaccine that works effectively. And typically that's true because typically we expect trials to last that long so we can get a strong enough and long enough data points to really know how safe these things are before we just start mass introduction into people's bodies. So all you had to do is just step back and let things open back up and follow the plan that was already laid out, which is despite their arguments to the contrary, basically all that Biden did with his rollout of vaccines anyway. Now, Pelosi and Schumer, they pointed to the vaccinations and to government handouts that they uh, called the American Rescue Project. Uh, they pointed to job creation. Now, all these things as evidence of an impactful first year. Uh, yeah, the job creation. It's about that. No. And most of those jobs that were created uh, haven't been filled. So you don't get credit for job creations that nobody's actually taken the job. But beyond that, there is some research that heavily suggests that there haven't actually been any jobs created uh, by anything that Biden has done. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Their little statement also goes on to claim that Biden was, quote, strong on the economy. Quoting again from the statement, Democrats have powered a historic economic recovery that has created a record 6.4 million new jobs, slashed the unemployment rates with the biggest single-year drop ever from 6.2% to 3.9%, and helping 16 million Americans off the unemployment rolls. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, no, the statement... Really, they, they made the claims that Biden's created jobs. Analysis has shown that Biden hasn't added a single job to the economy, not one. And as far as getting people off the unemployment rolls, it doesn't count if the reason they got off the unemployment rolls is because they simply stopped looking for work. Which, unfortunately, for a high percentage, nearly half of the people that came off the rolls, that's why. They just stopped looking for work. That doesn't count towards anything good, guys. Now, Nancy Pelosi, she knows that. Chucky e. Schumer, he knows that. Joe Biden, I don't know what he knows at this point. I know that his entire political career, all he's ever done is hang out in Washington, D.C., except for the few times he's gone on vacation and went back to his home state. But typically, uh, whenever he's doing anything, he uh, kind of wets his finger uh, like that, you see, and then kind of holds his hand up in the air and, and just gets a, a feeling for where the political winds are blowing in the party. And unfortunately, within the Democratic Party, they've moved so far to the left, the loud, squeaky wheels of the base are driving him to go so far to the left that he still seems way more like Bernie Sanders than a so-called moderate, you know, the moderate that we were supposed to get. 
At any rate, I think it's fair to say that Pelosi and Schumer's uh, little statement, all these claims in the statement, I think it's definitely pretty clear that uh, they, well, you know, they kind of fly directly in the face of most Americans who are at best frustrated by Biden's handling of the economy. I think when you find that half of voters are frustrated with the Biden administration, another 40% of the voters share uh, that uh, they were nervous, and only 25% of folks that have been surveyed uh, said that they were calm and satisfied. Well, then that tells you everything you need to know. But I would have said, you don't have to look at polls. All you have to do is start looking at college football games and NASCAR sporting events uh, from back uh, starting in November of last year. And you would find out everything you needed to know because there was this, there was this thing that you could hear in the background. Um, something similar to Let's Go Brandon, but, but with a, a little more cruder uh, execution. The language is a little more harsh. Some, some unlawful carnal knowledge involved with being directed at uh, Joe Biden. You don't get chants that loud, that frequently, that often at these kind of events if the people are satisfied with what's going on. And you certainly can't blame all that on the Trump supporters, the, the deplorables, all those domestic terrorists that are still trying to overthrow the government uh, that were involved, even though all they ever did was say, gee, guys, uh, that was kind of weird that uh, all the Democrats want to call uh, January 6th uh, an insurrection. Because, ooh, if you say that's weird, then you're an insurrectionist, too. You're part of the problem. Now, now it, it wasn't all – some of the people doing this were Democrats, and there are more people that typically vote Democrat now that are in the let's go Brandon camp than aren't. And that's because the party itself, the base, the, the average Democrat voter in this country are not part of the extremist uber leftist crowd. They're not part of the uber green crowd. They're not out here hugging trees. They, they want their families taken care of first. They don't want you to defund the police. They want safe neighborhoods. And believe it or not, a fair amount of those average voters are still actual classical liberals. Meaning that here I am saying, let's go, Brandon. And they're going to be saying, now, Tim, you shouldn't say that. But they're not going to tell me that I shouldn't be heard. They're not going to say, don't say that or we're going to silence you. They're not going to say, we're going to deplatform you. They're just going to say that, well, here's why you shouldn't say, let's go, Brandon. Here's why I think that Joe Biden's done a good job. Not very many of them would feel that way. But, you know, that, that's the tact. The main areas of concern for voters in the poll that I was talking about were the economy and inflation. Close to 60% said Biden was not focused on the economy as much as he should be. And another 65% said that they should said that uh, he should focus more on inflation. Well, the problem is he is focused on inflation. He's focused on creating more. He genuinely doesn't understand, I, I think. I mean, maybe he's just gotten better at acting, and he's fooled me on this one. But I generally believe that he does not understand how inflation works. I believe that he doesn't get how government spending makes inflation worse. Am I wrong? 
Well, everything that Joe Biden has said to this point kind of suggests I might be right. But I will concede the possibility that maybe Joe does understand and he is literally trying to be the ultimate mover uh, in the direction of formally using and completing the Cloward and Piven tact of how to destroy this country. I would hate to think that's the case. I really would. I would hate to believe, even for a second, that Joe Biden's true intention is to destroy this nation, especially when he himself has profited so greatly off of being able to be an elected official in this nation. That's something he probably couldn't have done if he had been born and raised in another country. I don't believe that uh, that he was qualified to do much else, quite honestly. He's a liar, he's a plagiarist, and uh, he's only getting worse. His cognitive disconnection is beyond the pale. And at this point, uh, after that debacle of a press conference he gave uh, yesterday, there is little doubt. Uh, you have several pundits, leftist pundits, that have started talking about removing him from office, questioning his cognitive capabilities, a few of them that are legitimately frightened by what he's got going on. So, you know, what else can you say? It's not a pretty thing, but it's the reality we're living in. Can the United States handle another three years? I don't think we're going to find out. I don't think he makes it another three years. In fact, at this point, a few more days like yesterday where he has this type of interaction – and I think the Democrats will have no choice but to jettison uh, Biden, to remove him. In fact, a big part of the only reason why they haven't already, I firmly believe, is the fact that that would, by default, move Kamala into that position. And that would take away what little advantage they have in the Senate, because once she's the president and no longer the vice president, then she doesn't get to cast tie-breaking votes. And... To appoint a vice president when you have moved up from that position yourself requires advice and consent, the same as appointing any cabinet-level position. So if you're back to a 50-50 tie with no tie-breaking vote, the Republicans could deny her having a VP pick unless it was somebody that they would have to pull from the Senate anyway uh, from a state where, yes, you're pulling a Democrat, but the governor in that state's likely to appoint a Republican. Yeah, that gets kind of tricky, and I think that's really the only reason. So they didn't want to risk it. It's the only reason they haven't uh, pulled the trigger already. But they may very well be to the point where they don't have much of a choice. We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I would fully expect to see some major changes made, and the party itself goes into self-defense mode after the midterms because it's not likely the Democrats are going to hold on to the, uh, a 50-50 in the Senate. And it's entirely possible, despite the numbers that would be required, that the Democrats could actually lose control of the House. But whether they do or don't, there is still a strong possibility that the numbers get close enough that all of a sudden the Democrats just can't run roughshod over the House either. 
But, you know, we'll see. And in the meanwhile, only one thing to say. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, you guys stay healthy if you can, stay as safe as possible, and uh, be smart out there, even if it goes against your nature. If you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this. Uh, Terrestrial Radio, bye for now. Tune in tomorrow, where hopefully you'll get to hear hour number two. From a blue state clan Taught to praise the little man Told that unions saved the working class I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook And you're listening to Tim Tapp And Tap Into the Truth
goddamn UN. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, and I'm coming to you from historic, lovely, beautiful Roan County, Tennessee. We're just uh, about 38 miles or so away from Knoxville. We're just uh, hanging out close to the secret city known as Oak Ridge, so if you know any anything about history and the Manhattan Project, you've probably heard that name. If you're not familiar with the area, that probably still doesn't mean anything at all to you. But if you know a little bit, then you've probably got a pretty good idea of where I'm hanging out with uh, from the uh, home studio tonight uh, in uh, beautiful Rockwood, uh, Tennessee. And uh, uh, we're doing this thing uh, here, and uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying the show so far. This is, for the benefit of those of you listening to the rebroadcast on Terrestrial Radio, this is the second hour of a two-hour live session where I get behind this microphone and kind of vent. Uh, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm not a journalist, although sometimes my journalistic integrity is much higher than those who claim to be professional journalists. I am a commentator. I am a color guy. I am an individual who's just spouting off what First comes to mind after I give you a little bit of information from an article, and then I just run with it. And I hope you find it enlightening, uh, informative, and uh, also, you know, uh, hopefully you find it to be uh, of value to you. Hopefully. At the very least, maybe I'm making you think and making you challenge some of your misconceptions. Uh, Not that you have many misconceptions. So anyway, if you are listening to the rebroadcast, then it's important for you to know that uh, the time I set here in front of the microphone for this particular session happened to be on January the 20th of 2022. Uh, Obviously, today, some of the other quick hit items here in hour number two, uh, seems that... um, Seems that Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire uh, ruffled some feathers when he made an appearance on the Dr. Phil show. Uh, He was flat out challenging the notion of gender pronouns for the trans activists and uh, literally had some folks uh, completely flustered with what he said. And then some of the folks that watched the segment, uh, leftist activists themselves, uh, posted things like how appalled, how upset, how triggered, how some of them were so stressed that they had nightmares about what Matt had said on the show. Some of them even went so far as to say F Dr. Phil for having the nerve, the gall, to put Matt Walsh on his show. Matt Walsh did an excellent job, by the way. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you uh, find the segment. Uh, you can find uh, the clips of it all over uh, various video platforms. Uh, you probably can still find it on YouTube, although I'm sure it violates most YouTube standards, so uh, work quickly if you're going there. Way more likely to find it on someplace like BitChute or Rumble or um, what's the new one, Odyssey. Uh, you can uh, check those out. But he discussed radical gender theory, and it really put some folks uh, up at odds. Uh, of course, Joe Biden snapped at another female journalist over a question that she asked. Uh, that's noteworthy. 
Not a surprise. It's what he does. Always has. I don't know why people act surprised when he pulls stuff like that. It's nothing new. Uh, something that's kind of interesting to point out. Uh, Caitlin, uh, you probably still know him, wants to be her much better as Bruce. Uh, Caitlin Jenner uh, said that we need to protect women's sports uh, when asked about transgender athletes. And uh, the NCAA actually overhauled its transgender rules, uh, having a lot to do with the uh, University of Penn swimmer dominating competition. So it's uh, kind of interesting, kind of interesting. So with those quick hits out of the way, and in order for me to make sure that I get to the main stories that I wanted to, especially since I kind of, as I so often do, uh, blathered on a bit longer in the first hour than I had intended, let's jump right into some of these stories. Now, I seem to recall... And you're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to recall spending the better part of the last, well, truthfully, it's been the better part of the last decade, being lectured to by Democratic office holders and leftists who claim to be progressive, claim to be liberal. Uh, they basically kept telling us, lecturing to us, how photo IDs are racist and bigoted, and it's voter suppression if you want to require photo IDs for voting, and and it's just, it's too difficult, too difficult. It's unreasonable. You can't expect somebody to actually be able to verify they are who they say they are before letting them vote. Now, you can expect it in every other aspect of life here in modern America, it's perfectly okay. But for voting, no, you must not even question their integrity. Never mind the fact that you don't know who these people are, and uh, without some type of identification, uh, photo ID preferable, so that you actually can say, yep, that's you. Well, it's difficult to ascertain if the other IDs are legitimate or not. I mean, um, if I was to acquire an older non-photo ID from my deceased father. I mean, my mom might still have something like that laying around. If I was to acquire that and then show up down at the uh, polling place where he used to vote, if I didn't have to verify that I was, in fact... James Tab, then uh, what's going to stop me from voting like that? Especially when I'm so certain that Democrats are using all kinds of dirty, cheating tactics to cancel out my vote in the first place. You know, the only thing that's actually preventing me from trying to attempt such voter fraud is the fact that I'm a person of integrity. I want things to be done the right way. Therefore, I do not want to cheat. I'm still somebody who has a emotional issue with the, the U.S. Olympic Committee allowing professional athletes to participate in uh, the Olympics. I think it should be amateurs. And, oh, yeah, I understand the argument. Uh, all these other countries were sending professional athletes or the equivalent thereof. Uh, okay, well, instead of us cheating too, why don't you just stop them from cheating? Hold them accountable and make them follow the rules. The Olympics for a very long time for a lot of athletes were literally the last hurrahs for some of these folks. Uh, in some sports, there is no professional outlet for them to pursue. And 
for other sports, they're at the top of their game, whether at the collegiate level and as they move in through the last of the uh, amateur levels. But once they go up against pro competition, all of a sudden they're not standouts anymore. Now, that's not a knock on them as athletes. It's just a simple statement of how this game plays out when you transition from amateur to professional. So the Olympics were a a last opportunity to shine for a lot of athletes. And I hate <clears throat> that that's been taken away from a lot of people because we feel the need to try to go win gold, so we're going to send our professionals anyway. And even more embarrassing, uh, our professionals aren't always the ones that win the gold anyway. So, yeah. Anyway, I went completely off the rails again. Let's circle back around. I started out talking about photo ID and about how it's racist because... As I said, for voting, uh, well, it's horribly racist and bigoted. But in every other aspect of American life, including the U.S. Uh, governmental bureaucracy, especially at the federal level, it's perfectly acceptable to expect you to be able to present three kinds of personal identification, and at least two of them need to be photo IDs. And now the latest is the fact that the IRS very soon will be making taxpayers upload a selfie to access certain tax tools. So starting in the summer of 2022, that's this upcoming summer, you will indeed need to log in to the IRS's website to access the child tax credit update portal uh, to get your tax transcript or to view a payment agreement with the agency. And in order to do that, you will need to create an account with third-party identity verification company ID.me. CNBC was reporting this, by the way. A simple username and password will no longer suffice. You will need to provide a government document with a photo, such as a driver's license, a state ID, or a passport, and take a video selfie with your smartphone or your computer. Now, an IRS spokesperson told CNBC that taxpayers can still pay and file their taxes without submitting a selfie or other important to third-party identity verification companies. By using bank accounts, credit cards, and similar means, it'll still be okay because presumably the banks that you're doing business with have already verified your identity status. However, CNBC again emphasized that doing the aforementioned basic things as well as applying for payment plans and monitoring stimulus checks, well, that's going to require facial identification. Last year, the Biden administration's IRS drew ire for a plan that would have compelled banks to report gross account inflows and outflows to the IRS if the transaction was $600 or more. I'm pretty sure you guys remember that. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen kind of brushed off concerns about the plan during the interview with CNBC, saying, quote, right now, on every bank account that earns more than $10 a year in interest, the banks report the interest to the IRS. That's part of the information base that includes W-2s and reports 
on dividends and other income that taxpayers have earned. So collection of information is routine. Translation, we've been keeping tabs on you the whole time. It doesn't matter that if all of a sudden we demand an additional tab uh, be paid attention to. It doesn't matter if we tell the banks, oh, well, if $10 happens to be withdrawn or deposited into your account, well, well, then they should let us know because how else are we going to know what you're up to? Anyway, since we spent so much time talking about that at the time, I don't want to rehash all that right now. But, you know, maybe we will sometime soon. Continuing with the interview, quoting here, it comes from places where the information on income is opaque and can be hidden. And a simple way for the IRS to get a sense of where that might be is just a few pieces of information about individuals' bank accounts. Nothing at the transaction level would violate privacy, simply aggregate inflows into the account over a year and aggregate outflows. That would help, that would really help the IRS target their auditing resources. Of course, Taxpayers Protection Alliance Vice President of Policy, Patrick Hedger, blasted the policy, saying that the IRS is first and foremost a law enforcement agency and the Fourth Amendment protects against unreasonable searches and seizures in pursuit of looking for wrongdoing and criminal actions. So, I think this is going to run into severe Fourth Amendment headwinds. So, more recently, the IRS announced that it would adjust federal income tax brackets and deductions in light of high inflation in the United States. The move, of course, is meant to prevent bracket creep. The phenomenon of inflation pushing taxpayers into higher income tax brackets or reducing the value of credits, deductions, and exemptions, resulting in higher taxes without higher income. The idea here is that for individual filers, the brackets uh, are as follows. You're being taxed at 10% for income up to $10,275. 12% from that up to 41,775, 22% from that 41 uh, up to 89,075, 24 so on and so on. Meanwhile, the individual standard deductions rose by $400. For married couples, the standard deduction rose by $800. So these are things that are kind of good to know. But uh, I just, I can't help it. I'm sitting here scratching my head and I'm wondering if you really do believe, you spend so much time going on and on and on about how hard it is to get a photo ID. Well, what about all those folks that don't have a smartphone? And there are a lot of folks that are going to be poor and I would imagine people of color that will be affected disproportionately by this. Although, I'm going to, go out on a limb and say it's mostly going to be people over the age of 65 that will be disproportionately affected by this. Now, I don't think they're going to necessarily be needing to go to utilize the tools to adjust their child earned income credit at that age group. But some of these other functions that it's still going to be required, that's going to become very problematic. 
mean, these folks like to pretend that everybody has this technology either in their hand or in their homes. But the truth of the matter is, is there's still, it's not by percentages a huge percentage, but it's still a significant number of individuals that simply don't have a cell phone at all, let alone a smartphone. They do have cell phones, but are still the old style flip phones. I even saw a guy just uh, just last week, as a matter of fact, was still using a brick phone. Now, I don't know how he's managing to do it. I didn't think there was any service providers that were still utilizing service that would be compatible with that. I guess he went in there and uh, has a fundamental grasp of the technology and changed some of the uh, chips that he's using. But it was working, it was functional, and it was one of the old school brick phones. I was impressed. I, I, it was literally museum quality, and at this point in time, a brick phone probably should be in a museum somewhere. But I digress. Point is simple. If photo IDs are such a burden for any part of our society, isn't it a burden for all parts? Or wouldn't you think that to be the case? If it's unreasonable to expect somebody to acquire a photo ID for something as vitally important as voting, if that's too much to ask, then how can you reasonably expect somebody to acquire photo IDs or to take a selfie or videos and upload that in the interest of just utilizing a few tools on a website? What's wrong with the fallback positions of a password and maybe a two-tier verification system. What, what's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that being the ongoing? Why would it be a problem if I'm filing taxes for my mother, for example? What would be wrong with me being able to access all the tools even if I'm doing that here at my place while she's over at her apartment where she doesn't have internet connection other than on the cell phone she has? that I had to get for and that I'm still having to teach her how to use. And it's not going well, by the way. <laughs> and it's you know, we're in that position. How ridiculous is this and who's going to be mostly affected? It is far less of a burden to simply get a photo ID, by the way, a government-issued photo ID, than to have to take a selfie, video or otherwise, that is instant in that moment and send just so that they can have one extra level of surveilling you. And that's really what this is going to accomplish. But, uh, you know, Democrats, height of hypocrisy. What else can you say? And, you know, speaking of hypocrisy, I find it very hypocritical that uh, Joe Biden is going to make any apologies over what happened in Afghanistan. Isn't making any efforts to offer up support for Taiwan, which I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point that as soon as the Winter Olympics are over, China's taking back Taiwan. They're coming anyway. They're going to try to do it. Uh, it's not going to be the United States that offers any serious aid. And it's not like I want to declare war anywhere. I don't want to get involved in any military conflicts, especially if you don't have to. But as soon as you let people know, you let your adversaries know that that's something that's just not on the table at all, then all of a sudden they start doing things they would not have done otherwise. I mean, they're already suspicious, especially based on the events in Afghanistan, that 
You can probably do what you want. You're probably not going to face any real circumstances. When you look at what Joe Biden's attempted to do with Iran, you know, he's desperately trying to get back into the Iran deal, which was terrible. And the best thing that could have happened was not only us, but everyone else that had been a part of that should have just never, never got on board with it. Of course, it was to stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons. All it did was guarantee that they would faster because you sent them money. Pallets of cash. I'm going to keep saying that because I kind of like it's kind of fun saying pallets of cash. But it makes me angry when I think of the context for which it's coming from. Well... In order to continue to make the case to negotiate with the mullahs in Iran, uh, Biden also has to kind of ignore the fact that they're not they're not enforcing the sanctions that are still currently in place that haven't been removed. They're they're not doing it. And even though the Republican Study Committee, uh, the largest conservative con- caucus in Congress, They've been pretty persistent in sending letter after letter after letter to the Biden administration asking about the lack of sanction enforcement on the despotic, theocratic Iranian regime. The The Biden administration has reportedly, however, been very good at avoiding giving any answers at all. The Republican Study Committee has concluded that Iran is richer, stronger, and closer to a nuclear weapon than ever before. This according to a report over at the Washington Free Beacon, which obtained an advanced copy of the RSC's investigation. Quoting here, the report exposes how the Biden administration has repeatedly broken its promise to enforce U.S. sanctions as it pursues diplomacy with Iran's anti-American regime. Free Beacon goes on to note that, uh, quote, it is clear that the Biden administration, while not technically lifting many of President Trump's sanctions on Iran, is tactically providing sanction relief through lack of enforcement, an effort to coax the Iranians to re-enter the failed Iran nuclear deal. Unfortunately, such a tactic only hardens Iran's will to stall in negotiations and step up provocation. Despite repeatedly stating that no sanction relief would be provided to Iran until Iran returned to the failed Iranian nuclear deal, the Biden administration has reneged on that promise by not vigorously enforcing existing penalties and, in some cases, abusing waiver and license authorities directly benefiting the Iranian regime and its affiliates. This is all in the report. The report also points out that the Iranian regime uh, gas launched a series of nuclear moves that experts consider irreversible. Inversible 
irreversible in terms of the knowledge needed to move closer to a nuclear weapon threshold. Meanwhile, this past uh, Thursday, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said that restoring Iran's nuclear deal was still possible after he had spoken to European allies. He said, quote, My own assessment, talking to all of our colleagues, is that returning to mutual compliance, it remains possible. We've seen, I would say, some modest progress in the last couple of weeks in the talks in Vienna. Blinken did, however, insist that time is running out. Time's running out to reach a deal with the Iranians. I, I think that time has already passed, Mr. Blinken, sir, Secretary Blinken. See, while the Islamic Republic ranks as a bona fide energy superpower, the maximum pressure policy of the Trump administration profoundly crippled its global oil trade. By 2020, its output had declined to a historic low of less than 2 million barrels a day as U.S. sanctions kept the Iranian regime from selling crude oil abroad. While Iran reached a uranium level close to weapons grade, international nuclear inspectors had been prevented from accessing various sites. Now, of course, Republican leaders claim that Biden's administration has quote, failed to have the back of these nuclear inspectors as Tehran, Tehran, uh, probably the better pronunciation, Tehran increasingly dismissed monitoring, limited access, and harassed female inspectors. So here's the long and the short of this little tidbit. You have this group of folks that are trying to keep an eye on Biden's promises. For all the left's accusations of how much a liar the previous occupier of the White House, the orange man who was bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, you know the guy. Most of you know him as Donald J. Trump. Some of you know him as the Donald. Some of you actually never even knew his name, but you recognize him as being the guy who says, you're fired a lot. Sometimes you got him confused with Vince McMahon because he used to say, you're fired a lot, too. Just said it differently. You're fired. Anyway, I, I digress. Point of the matter is, Joe Biden has done everything possible to strengthen our enemies. He's literally following the same failed policies of the Obama administration. At least when it comes to China, Russia, Iran, and any other place in the Middle East. We're going to support the terrorists. We're going to leave high and dry those who would stand up and try to, to prevent terrorism from running wild in their countries. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Afghanistan. But mostly I'm looking at Joe Biden. Barely there. Beijing Biden. The P-pads part of Operation P-pads and Knee-pads. The Biden-Harris administration. For the uninitiated. It's absurd. Absolutely absurd. Well, let's take that mid-hour break and uh, then we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. 
This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap into the Truth. leftist in Canada and elsewhere so afraid of biblical truth when it comes to man and woman. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, subversive leftist activists, educators, and politicians continue to wage their demonic, bigoted war against God. God created both man and woman and commissioned them to be fruitful and multiply. It was self-evident that just like humans cannot marry and have pig babies any more than pigs can procreate and bring forth male and female humans, human beings can only bring forth male or female human beings, despite that biblical and scientific truth. Socialist Canadian officials have passed Bill C-4, which states that the Bible's teaching on sexuality and gender is now defined as myth under Canadian law. Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau's government has now effectively criminalized Christian beliefs and continues to harass, lock up, and in some cases beat Christian ministers for obeying God and preaching the gospel. I have a feeling that this will not bode well for old Canada in the long run. I'm Ron Edwards. Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Anything to report? Uh, successful dump. I dropped everything at the dump. It all worked out. And by the way, I got a second load. Guys, come in. Anybody wants to help me unload? My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. My mother and father believed. Look, John's last-minute economic plan does nothing to tackle the number one job facing the middle class. And it happens to be, as Barack says, a three-letter word, jobs. J-O-B-S. Jobs. Joe, you want to administer the oath? Am I doing this again? For the senior senior staff. staff. All right. A number of cabinet members have already... My memory is not as good as Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts. Does, does anyone have the... No, I... And thank you, uh, Dr. Pepper, and thank you, Chancellor, or Dr. Paper, and thank you, Chancellor. But the Taoiseach knows a lot about it. His mom uh, lived in, uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so. Uh, God rest her soul. And uh, um, although she's... Wait, your mom's still... Your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. I got to get this straight. Recently, the president of Ghana made an important announcement that every wise person should pay close attention to. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Browns Coffee. Recently, Ghana President Akufo Adu told a nationwide tele audience about what he dubbed as the satanic Rockefeller plan to put out a virus for global 
depopulation and to destroy the global economy and where to find the evidence. He then talked about where the coronavirus was developed. Ghana's President Akufo Addu talked about the Fauci and Gates' involvement in what he described as the satanic agenda. He then alerted his fellow countrymen that he will end all vaccinations. I can understand the president of Ghana expressing his concerns and wanting to ban the shots. After all, Bill Gates is famous for his past efforts to depopulate Africans via shots during past illness outbreaks. Hopefully, President Akufo Addu of Ghana won't end up dead like four other African nation presidents who spoke out against the jab. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Glad to have you back uh, with me, and uh, certainly glad to be here with you. Thank you so very much. It is humbling, and it is meaningful to know that here we are, uh, nearly an hour and a half in, a little bit over that, actually, and you're still here. You're still listening, so thank you. Uh, If you're listening via the podcast then you have the opportunity to ease on down into the show description and take a peek. Uh, You will see links to Fire and Flavor, and you will see links to My Patriot Supply. Now, I mentioned My Patriot Supply because given where we are at in this modern age, you cannot be too careful in making sure that you have enough food to get you through an emergency. I've said a multitude of times that individual liberty requires individual responsibility, and part of that individual responsibility is being self-sufficient. Nobody has been helping you to be self-sufficient longer than my Patriot Supply. There's just no two ways about it. Whether you're talking about a food that is emergency supply food that is self-shelf-stable up to 25 years, or heirloom seeds, or water purification, or whatever your survival needs may be, my Patriot Supply has pretty much got you covered across the board. But hey, you know what? As I'm often fond of saying, don't take my word for it. Go see it for yourself. Go down there, 
and I tell you to go see it for yourself because they're going to do a much better job of telling you about them and what they do than I will anyway. So go down to the show description, copy the link in its entirety. Uh, in some places, part of the link is active. Uh, I know if you're listening at Spreaker in particular, if you click on it, you'll it will click part of that link, even though I don't put the link live at BTR in the description there. Not anymore. I used to, but it usually just cost issues and you couldn't follow the links for some reason. I've never understood how that works because some stuff you can link to pretty easily, but be that as it may, even though part of that link will work just by clicking it at some of the formats, uh, I'm asking you not to do that because if it doesn't send the whole link, then they don't know that it was me that sent you. And that's the kind of an important part of the ask that I'm making here. Uh, Copy that link in its entirety, paste it in your web browser, and go see for yourself everything that my Patriot Supply has to offer. Uh, even if you're not planning on making a purchase, use that link anyway to go see what's going on. And I wouldn't be surprised if after you get there and take a look around that maybe you don't change your mind. Maybe you don't do it right then or right there, but maybe you decide you should be planning for the times when maybe you can't get to the grocery store for an extended period of time or given the current status of our economy and supply chain issues maybe maybe that local grocery store is missing some important items uh, for an extended period of time they're open but they don't have much on the shelves after all biden does seem to be doing his best to try and make america look an awful lot like venezuela regardless it's worth it to go take a peek. And then if you do decide that you're going to make a purchase later, I ask you to please remember to come back and use that link again. You'll find that link in multiple shows, multiple show descriptions. But if you follow the link now and then don't remember where it was or can't find the episodes, if you go into the archives, then there is another solution. You have another option. If you're listening on terrestrial radio and you don't have that show description in front of you, and maybe you don't know uh, where to find the podcast version of the show. I mean, it happens. If you don't listen to a lot of podcasts, fair enough. That simple solution is to visit me over at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P into the truth, all one word, dot com. Tapintothetruth.com. Uh, from there, you can just scroll down a little bit on that uh, homepage and you'll find banners to all the different folks that I have an affiliate relationship with. And clicking on one of those banners works just the same as following that link in the show description. So uh, if you want to maximize and help me the most, help support the show the most without spending any money, maybe visit my website and then click a banner from there because that will work just as well. You improve my website traffic, which in turn makes me more attractive to would-be sponsors. And by sending that traffic there, knowing that it's coming from uh, this association, uh, well, it keeps them happier with our relationship. So even if I never get an actual sponsorship, at least I'm still generating some value by getting extra eyes over there. And that still works to help the show. Besides, like I said, when it comes to some of these folks, Fire and Flavor, Blue Coolers, Built Bar, My Patriot Supply... I'm pretty sure that a lot of you, if you get on over there and take a look at what they have to offer, you're going to want to make some purchases. I, I would I would be willing to, to bet some bet some money on that. I really would. They got great stuff. And uh, speaking of great stuff, uh, 
You know what's really, really good in the world of candy? Well, if you're like me and you have a serious sweet tooth, uh, it's not hard to come up with an answer for that, and the answer can be just about anything that's sweet. But uh, one of my favorites, and I think one of America's favorites, happens to be M&M's. So we've grown fond of those little chocolate drops with a candy shell that melts in your mouth, not in your hand kind of uh, yumminess. And in recent years, their ad campaigns have turned to animated versions of some of the different types of M&Ms. And we've gotten to, gotten to love, or maybe not like so much, some of these characters, each one a different color and a different personality. Well, hold on to your socks, boys and girls. We knew it was only a matter of time, right? The characters are going to be changing soon. Um, it seems that Mars Wrigley has decided, uh, that's the parent company of the M&M's uh, candy, they've decided that it's time that the beloved M&M characters need to become more inclusive, with several changes that are upcoming, most of them kind of subtle, but they're all noticeable. They made this announcement uh, again today, time of the live broadcast, uh, Thursday being uh, January 20th. They made the announcement saying that, uh, quote, a global commitment to creating a world where everyone feels they belong and where society is inclusive. That's that's their global commitment. They want to create this world. So how are they going to go about it? Well, by changing how you see fictional characters based on the M&M candy. Yeah, that, that'll go a long way, guys. I, I'm with you right there. Social engineering at its finest, right? I mean, who hasn't enjoyed the mild reactions of the slightly daffy yellow M&M. Who hasn't felt triggered by the bullying of the red M&M? Who hasn't felt a, a special kind of feeling in regards to the green M&M? <laughs> okay, so I'm a little over the top right now, but here's the real deal, all right? Here's what's actually happening. Uh, according to the official company, and, and I'm pretty sure they're not trolling us here. It sounds too legitimate woke to be a troll. And if it is a troll, I'm going to give them uh, uh, high props on it because they, they pulled it off very well. Some of the changes they're going to be making. The green M&M character is going to lose her peach-colored legs and stiletto boots in favor of white legs and sneakers after some criticism that... That the character was sexualized. Okay, I, I don't know. I would say that's an accurate description. Uh, they did try to make green kind of sexy. Don't know why that. Why you would criticize that uh, in ads, in marketing, sex sells, right? And we're still talking about an animated green piece of candy. How much can you really do with that? It's not like they're being objectified. Except, uh, never mind. I'm not going to say it. It just, uh, just get me in trouble. So I'm going to leave the melts in your mouth uh, language out of this part of the discussion. Anyway, 
They're they're literally getting rid of the stiletto boots. They're changing the leg color. After the criticism that the character was sexual, Morris said that it wanted the green M&M to be, quote, better represented to reflect confidence and empowerment as a strong female and known for much more than her boots. Okay. Now, that does kind of feel a little like they're trolling us, <laughs> but I don't think they are. I mean, in truth, when you're listening to some of these woke people talk, it's hard to tell. Uh, almost everything they say, even when they're at their most dead serious, kind of feels like they're not, because the things they say really shouldn't be serious. Anyway, the brown M&M, also female, by the way, will have her heels lowered to a, quote, professional height. And in a uh, Q&A session on the company's website uh, that they had for each character, her character says that she is not bossy, just the boss. Meanwhile, the green and brown M&Ms will no longer have a rivalry, but will now be together throwing shine and not shade. Yeah, I'm feeling a trolling. It certainly feels like we're being trolled here. Now, the anxious orange M&M, who Mars says is one of the most relatable characters with Gen Z, you know, the most anxious generation, Previously, previously the orange M&M had his shoes untied, but now they're going to go ahead and tie them. Uh, what difference does that really make? Well, now they're no longer insinuating that Generation Z is not capable of tying their own shoes. I don't think that was an unfair comparison considering how many of them continue to use uh, Velcro ties, Velcro straps for their tennis shoes uh, well into their 20s and even into the 30s. Anyway, Red Eminem, uh, my favorite, an outspoken character that sometimes is interpreted as bullying the other M&Ms. Well, Red will start being more kind to his fellow candy characters. The new versions of the characters will roll out online this week and will start appearing on Eminem's packaging later this year. The changes are meant to increase a, quote, sense of belonging for 10 million people around the world by 2025. Eminem has long been committed to creating colorful fun for all, and this purpose serves as a more concrete commitment to what we've always believed as a brand that everyone has the has the right to enjoy moments of happiness and fun is the most powerful way to help people feel that they belong that comes from Catherine Slate uh, the Mars Wrigley chief growth officer now, many classic brands have opted to change their logos in recent years to, to be more politically correct. This isn't a new phenomenon. Mars also owns Ben's Original Rice, by the way, previously known as Uncle Ben's. The company changed the brand's name and removed the image of a smiling elderly African-American man from its packaging in 2020 after the death of George Floyd. And Jemima's altered its logo in 2020 to remove the image of Aunt Jemima, an African-American woman. Quaker Oats said at the time 
that the company recognized that Aunt Jemima's origins are based on a racial stereotype. See, Aunt Jemima was based on an actual person, though. And here's what kind of kills me on this. I don't know if you notice. I had this conversation with my wife just the other day because uh, they were doing the ads for the pancakes. And, of course, they've got the new name, prominent. But then down in the corner, you've got the little logo still saying, formerly Aunt Jemima. <laughs> so... They're so concerned that you're not going to recognize what the product is that they're still putting the Enzyme name in the advertising just off to the side. You can clearly see it. It's there. Be hard to miss, but they want to make sure that you know that it is Enzyme. We just don't call it that anymore. That seems to defeat the purpose just a little bit. Or maybe that's just me. You've also had Land of Lakes Butter. They changed the packaging back in 2020. They took the image of the Native American woman off of it. Uh, it was criticized as being a racist stereotype. But the move was controversial within the Native American community. Some of them said that the image fostered empowerment and cultural pride. Uh, sorry, guys. The, the left don't really care about that. It's a talking point. It's a little virtue signal. They claim they're in it for you. They had kind of the same deal going on with the Washington Redskins uh, football team. A lot of tribes were okay with it. They, they saw that as a form of cultural empowerment, too. It uh, doesn't matter. The left comes for them. They've got to go. The debate over racial insensitive schools and sports team mascots has been going on for the last several years. Everybody from the Cleveland Indians to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the Washington football team... The Atlanta Braves, they've all either changed their logos and mascots or cracked down on fans' behavior at games like wearing headdresses and face paint. Uh, but what does that have to do with this? M&M's is woke. Just one more reason for me to slide on over to make the full change to Reese's Pieces all the time. And strangely enough, I like the Reese's Pieces. I actually like Reese's Pieces better than M&M's because of the uh, the way the peanut butter is set up and the, the hard shells there. Uh, neither here nor there. Everybody's got a personal preference. Don't hate me for mine. Uh, what's kind of funny, though, is a lot of people still think of, at least a lot of people over the age of 35 still think of Reese's Pieces and they think of the connection with E.T., uh, that little alien loved the things. Uh, my strongest connection to Reese's Pieces, though, now is the episode of Family Guy where James Woods was in it, and Peter was trying to lead James Woods into a room, and so he had left uh, Reese's Pieces, and he just kind of kept taking a step, you know, ooh, piece of candy, ooh, piece of candy. Don't know why I felt the need to share that. It just it struck me. I'm sitting here talking about this. I don't like them messing with the characters. Okay, can can that be said? I like Red being a smart aleck and then being proven wrong quite often. I like the fact that that is humorous. I like Yellow being not so bright and because it's kind of the opposite of the color. And yet he still manages to be the good guy most of the time. I, it's These are all stereotypical characters that they have created, but they play off of one another in a way that creates 
maybe it's that, that hint of nostalgia because it's that formula that was very often used for 1980s and early 1990s sitcoms. That's what these characters have been, and, and they are fun and funny. But we live in a time where literally Jake from State Farm has to get a complete and total makeover because people got upset that the original Jake from State Farm commercial featured a man's wife catching her husband on the phone late at night talking to Jake from State Farm and making the statement, what are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis? Well, she sounds hideous. Because uh, uh, she's she's a guy. And that was legitimately funny. The whole thing was funny. They did it well. But people got upset because she sounds hideous was somehow magically twisted into transphobic behavior. How? Oh, Jake from State Farm, the original Jake, who actually did get to make an appearance in the first ad with the new Jake. What are you wearing, Jake? Uh, khakis? Do they ask you that a lot? Yes. <laughs> so they made it clear that they were passing the baton over and they acknowledged that it wasn't Jake from State Farm that was the issue, but they still bowed to the forces of these would-be whiners, these snowflakes that just need to go ahead and melt. There's nothing transphobic by a wife catching her husband on the phone late at night and assuming that he's up to something naughty. I mean, if that happens in real life and she's completely off base, instead of saying she sounds hideous, she needs to be saying, I'm sorry. But all that put to the side, come on. You literally changed... An entire ad campaign, an ad campaign that was intended to go much further than the single commercial, which is made clear by the fact that Jake got a makeover and there's a whole new series of Jake from State Farm commercials now with the new Jake. You can't bend the knee to these people. You just can't. Whatever short-term hit you may take by standing up to them, it's nothing compared to the damage it's going to do to your brand overall, to the people who actually have more expendable cash and are more likely to spend it on your product. Damage you're going to do to them when they decide they don't want to do business with you anymore because you bent the knee to a bunch of crybaby weenies who have no life experience worth bragging about. Have no concept about how much the average American earns a year. If you missed that story, by the way, uh, go back and listen to the earlier parts of today's two-hour program. Uh, M&M's, man, going to be more inclusive. The M&M's are getting woke. Red's going to start being nice. And no mention of what yellow's going to be up to. Green's going to be unsexified. Brown and green aren't going to be rivals anymore. I really didn't pick up much of a rival vibe between them anyway in the commercials that I've seen. <sighs> what a world. What a world we live in. That's going to have to be it for me tonight, guys. Uh, as always, thank you so very much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, remember, 
whatever else you do, whatever you take away from today's program, don't take my word for not one little bit of it. Please don't. I, I beg you not to, not just at face value. I want you to go do your own research and come to your own conclusions. I hope I just send you down a path to investigate. Okay, You're free to think differently about these things. That's the great part of America. I'm not going to hate you for it. And I'm not I'm not going to feel too bad if you decide you want to hate me, but I'd rather you didn't because that's an American guy. So, you know, do your own homework, do your own research. Most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay as safe as you can, stay healthy if you can, and uh, be smart out there, guys, even if it goes against your nature. And, oh, yeah, uh, Joe... This is Tim Tapp. Let's go,
is using both hands. 